This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. So as Paul has been speaking to this church, he has been occasionally saying something nice, commending them, but, but most of the time he's, he's responding to reports that he's heard and or responding to questions that they have actually directly asked him. And he's kind of making his way through these issues, talking to a, a church full of people, people that came to faith through his ministry, and yet, for some reason, they are not listening to him. Now, today we start talking about a, one specific subject. We've talked about a lot of subjects, or Paul has, throughout the letter. Today we start a discussion of spiritual gifts, and that'll probably take us five messages. So today we're going to talk about the source. Next week we're going to talk about expressions. The week after that, we're going to talk about the one love that rules them all. After that, we'll talk a little bit about how to choose the best gifts. And finally, we're going to wrap up this little part of the series by talking about how God actually wants to be worshipped. But for today, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and if you don't have a Bible, there's probably a blue hardcover Bible there near you, or we'll project it, which means none of you touch your Bibles. <laughs> Paul opens chapter 12 this way. Now about the, the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I kind of like King James. I don't want you to be ignorant. Ignorant. That's, that, that, I just love calling these people ignorant, except for the times when they look a lot like us. And then I, I, I respect and, and look up to them. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. Now, it's kind of interesting. Um, they shouldn't be uninformed. In fact, uh, Paul earlier in his letter said that they actually had a rich diversity of gifts. If you flip back in the book, in the letter to the first chapter, he wrote this to them in 1 Corinthians 1.5. He says, For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge. God, thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So this was a church that, from its founding almost, had, had a, an abundance of expressions of spiritual gifts. Now, we're going to say this several times today, but even the term spiritual gifts, many of you, if you've been around church at all, you have spiritual gift baggage. Okay? You have issues about spiritual gifts. You've got an impression about spiritual gifts. It's a positive one. It's a negative one. It's, it's, you're, it's, it's just a big question mark. Like, oh, I don't even understand. We all have baggage. And this morning, as, and, and as we, the next few weeks as we talk about this, one of the, uh, one of the activities we're going to have to be involved in is to sort of mentally set our baggage Maybe we should just pile up a bunch of baggage in the, in the hallway this morning. Just leave it back there for the time being. We're going to try to look at this as best we can, as though it were the first time we're talking about it. Paul, as he talks to them about spiritual gifts, this church that had all kinds of expressions, all kinds of experiences. By the way, that's one of the problems talking about spiritual gifts, is you meet people who have had experiences. 
And if you've noticed, it's, it's just about downright impossible to, to talk somebody out of an experience they've had. And yet what Paul's going to say to this church, and I think he says to us, is your experience, though it is ex- indeed your experience, Mike, doesn't necessarily equal truth. And so keep an open mind. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. So if we, if we play this right in the next few weeks, we're going to become better informed about spiritual gifts. So the Corinthian church, we've already talked a little bit about them. You know, you're, you're building a profile in your head. And what we learned is that they're very immature spiritually. They're like babies. And so because they're babies, they're constantly squabbling and picking sides. They were picking sides over who liked which preacher best, who liked which teacher best, which camp they were in, which camp was the most spiritual. This was a a setting where oratory debates, it was like 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 a common sport, a sporting event, okay? And so uh, it was kind of like warring talk show hosts. And, and so you started to side with one, and that gave you an enemy in the other. And it was just something that kind of occupied a lot of their energy. This is a church that they were so, so intense that they would even take each other to court to win. Because everybody knows that you want to be a winner, Whatever it is you're doing, you want to be a winner. Their public worship was exactly as crazy as you might imagine. We talked about the women in the church and how they were maybe having veil burnings, you know, and they're partying. And even though Christ gave them great freedom, they were pushing that limit and really becoming a distraction. While the women are are going crazy one way, uh, the men and, and others, but especially the men, are getting drunk at communion, having their own food fest, right? We've talked about all those things. You get a picture in your mind of what it was like to visit the church of Corinth. Now, Paul starts writing to them. He commends them for meeting. He says, hey, at least you guys are still meeting publicly. You haven't given up on Jesus. That's great. But one thing we saw last week is that he said to them, your meetings are actually doing more harm than good. What you're doing publicly brings more shame than fame to Jesus. And that's what kind of captures our attention this morning. Even in our current debate in our country and these issues uh, with, connected with politics, connected with economics, connected with immigration, connected with violence, gun control, freedoms. We could go down the list. If we are not careful we can communicate something to the world that is watching that is not helpful to God's program. And as followers of Jesus, we want to communicate what he would say to our community. Now, this church has a pretty serious kind of pagan worship background, and and I think one of their problems is that they've, they've just not made a big enough break from their pagan past. I mean, they're Christian but they're kind of still bringing a lot of that baggage from their past into how they do church. And that comes up in the very next verse, verse 2. He says, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute 
idols. Interesting. Now, a little bit earlier in our study, he addressed the issue of idols, especially because there was food offered in front of idols, and Christians in Corinth were trying to figure out, is it okay to eat food that's been offered to idols? And, and they wrestled through that, and, and Paul's teaching was pretty clear. He said, look, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you know that an idol is nothing. It's a chunk of wood. It's a chunk of rock. It has no power. It has no uh, existential purpose apart from that object. There's no spirit connected to it. It is, it is powerless. So he's made that clear, that that, that was a, a waste of their time. But now he says something interesting about those idols. I mean, it's a given that they were mute. Uh, you have to do a lot of drugs before rocks or wood start talking to you. <laughs> it's a chunk of wood. It's a, it's a piece of rock. It's mute. And yet, they were led astray by those idols. <clears throat> now, I, I realize that you, you make the literary leap immediately. But before we jump, I want to just make it clear were those idols actually leading the Corinthians as pagans in, away from Christ? Were, were those idols actually the ones speaking? Of course not. They were mute. They're inanimate objects. And yet, when he says, you were led astray by that, and we understand that yep, idolatry can lead people astray, so then the message that they were buying into the message that was coming through that idol worship, that pagan worship, where were those messages coming from? If they weren't coming from the idols, the gods, they were coming from inside them. And I think that's important as he addresses spiritual gifts for them. They heard, when they were pagans worshiping idols, they heard what they wanted to hear. And to be honest, any of us can fall for that too. So the next thing that Paul wants to say is that things have changed. You are no longer a pagan. Now you know the true God. And the true God is one who communicates. And he's communicating to you. The question is whether or not you hear him. Whether or not we are listening. I think it was uh, Out of the Gray years back, had a song. And the lines went something like, uh, he is not silent. He is not whispering. We're not quiet. We're not listening. So the challenge to them, even as he gets started, is let's make sure that you're listening for what the living, true God is saying as opposed to those idols. And what is he saying? He says there's, there's an objective test you don't have to kind of like, well, does that feel right to me? I don't know if that's okay. This kind of feels good. Instead of that subjectivity, he says there's an objective test to know whether or not you're hearing from God. Now, it's not the only test. It's not the final only all-surpassing test, but it is foundational. And he says in verse 3, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Pretty simple. The most simple basic test is this. Who do you say Jesus is? And if you and I were to take time and 
talk to other people in other faiths around us. And when you ask that question, it becomes sort of a dividing, a watershed. Who do you say Jesus is? Even some of the cults who would say, oh, Jesus, Jesus is the son of God. And yet, as you press, you'll find out that what their understanding of that is that somehow he's like, you know, his, he's, he's like the, the apprentice God or, or just simply a different version of God. And, and they, so who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? Now, I had trouble with this. Like when I read this, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. Who would say that? Even cults and, and others don't, generally don't say that. And yet, if they were to go back in their mind to their pagan worship days, that's exactly what would have been said in their worship. Hey, there's some Christians out in the hallway. They're, they're like, and ah, oh, Jesus people curse. And they, that, that could be said. It's also possible that in their debates with one another, you know, this guy's saying this about theology, this guy's saying that about theology, and in that debate, it's possible that one of them accuses the other one of being cursed by God because they're wrong, which somehow from Corinth, we would not be surprised. Now, one of the major issues that this church was wrestling with was this issue of tongues. Speaking in special languages. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you're thinking, I still don't get it. But it was obviously one of those divisive, dividing issues back then. And it is today. I think it's easier for us to understand maybe what was going on if we try to remind ourselves that um, in this culture, in the Corinthian culture, they were trying to figure out who was the most spiritual. It was like, the, it was like, like uh, who wants to get ahead? Who's going to succeed? Okay? You got American Ninja Warrior, right? Who's going to get to the top? And we watched people win. We were rooting for winners and losers. We love watching anything with some competition. In their day, it was debates about theology and philosophy. And in those debates, you got extra points for having special things, special skills, special words. In fact, you got special points if it was just weird. I mean, you understand, right? Have you ever watched TV in the early hours of the morning? The only people that are on are people teaching, and they're just like, can I be weirder than the next person? So there's a culture that equates demonstrations with spirituality. And the more extreme that demonstration, potentially the more spiritual it is. They also seem to, thought, to have thought that they could kind of move themselves up, that they could become spiritually upwardly mobile on their own. That they could be seen as being more spiritual in church. People would see me. Like, you raise one hand when we're singing, well, you're semi-spiritual. You raise both hands, oh, now you're super spiritual. And if you're in the aisle hopping, whoa, you know, then he's just, oh, she's just, you know, right? And so there's these little games we play. They play. It's kind of interesting, though, because from what we can tell about their pagan background, 
spiritual ecstatic utterances were a part of that worship too. Pagan worshipers would have all kinds of outbursts like that too. It wasn't that uncommon. And so here again we see this issue that we're not sure yet what is right or wrong, good or bad. We're going we're gonna to digest that as Paul talks to us. But we do know one thing. We know the idols aren't actually talking. And we know that their background was one where these kind of outbursts you got extra points for. Extra po- I remember the first time. How many of you have ever seen Sunday school attendance pins? Is there anybody? Oh, there's still a few of us left alive, okay? Now, you know that I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I remember I went to a church and I saw some kid there with all these pins. And it took me one or two visits before I realized, wait, you get those here? And I remember how odd it was that God would give pins, you know? And how profound it must be. Like, wow, I mean, how many? Spiritual, except I knew the kid from school. I cannot tell you where I wanted to put those pins. But they weren't, they weren't on his lapel, that's for sure. So they have somehow created this setting where, much like their background, you can work up and act out and express, and you get extra points for it. It's almost like they kind of took a lot of their experiences before they were Christians, and they just kept going with it and brought it right into church. So now Paul's going to begin to talk to them about a proper understanding of spiritual gifts. And he starts in verse 4. He says, now, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them, but in all of them and in, in everyone, it is the same God at work. Hmm. Considering the kind of um, expressions and outbursts that, that seem to have been going on, It's interesting that the first thing Paul says is that, hey, the first thing I'm going to do is admit there are all kinds of different gifts, all kinds of different services, all kinds of different workings, and they they are given to all kinds of different people. So he seems at first, one of the very first things out of his mouth is to admit that there's a wide spectrum of diversity when it comes to the use and expression of spiritual gifts. Just when you thought maybe he was going to bring down the hammer and say, the Presbyterians are right, you know, sit, soak, and sour, be more Puritan, just when you thought maybe he's going to land there, he says, no, 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 there are all kinds of expressions. Now, it's kind of interesting, if you're a student of the scriptures at all, you can't help but notice words. And so he says that there are different kinds of gifts, that's one word, gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. See, the word for gift and the word for spirit really have the same root word. Charis. Charismata. Little play on words here, maybe. There are all kinds of gifts, but they all come from the same gift giver. He says there's different kinds of service. Uh, service, like uh, we think, you know, wash my car or whatever. But, but I think especially since he connects it to the same Lord, maybe the easiest way to understand this would be the idea of sacrifice. 
There's all different kinds of sacrifices that can be made. But there's one Lord who sacrificed first. It was one sacrifice that makes the rest possible. Then he says there's all different kinds of working, but it's the same God at work. That, work, that word working, it's, it, it's not like, like working like, I've been working on the railroad. It's not that. It's the word for power. Boom, power. And if we're honest, I don't care where on the spectrum you are on spiritual gifts, none of us would mind if God showed up in some powerful way. And so what Paul seems to admit is that there's all different kinds of expression of power. But all of that power comes from the one powerful one. And that, those things are at work in all of those people and everyone involved. You see, Corinth was tempted to think that this group was more spiritual than that group. They have the spirit and they do not. And Paul's message is, be careful. God works in a lot of different ways. Same spirit, same Lord, same God. Interesting, isn't it, that the Trinity is mentioned. The entire Godhead is involved in this spiritual gifts thing. Gifts, service, working, they're all different. Spirit, Lord, God, all one, one in the same. I think Paul's trying to communicate something to us. The gifts are from the Spirit. The service is from the Lord. The power is from God. And so here, here's the takeaway. If you want to know what the sermon, the, the end of the sermon, I'll give it to you right now. It's simply this. That there are a lot of different expressions of spirituality. Some are good and some may not be. Some might be correct, and some may not be. Some seem more spiritual than others. And there are all different kinds of people who are expressing these gifts. With all of that diversity, the one simple first lesson that Paul would say, the, thing, the one takeaway for us today is simply this. Just try to remember that it all comes from the exact same person for the exact same purpose. Therefore, anything about a, the, the, how different a gift is or how different a person uses it, anything about those, the diversity in all those gifts, anything about that that makes you tend to think that they're separate from you, you're mistaken. Because it's all coming from the same place. So, the person that kind of irritates you here at Crossroads and you're hoping to get out before you bump into them in the hallway. I see you. I know. Instead, you can stop and go, you know, whatever it is you're bringing to the table, it all comes from God. All the good stuff comes from God. So I'm going to be careful about passing judgment. Now he goes on, he says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Every single believer has at least one spiritual gift. When we get to talking about those next week, we'll talk a little bit more. I think since fruit of the Spirit 
kind of come, fruit comes in clusters. I think often spiritual gifts come in clusters, little groupings that kind of work well together for you. But we'll talk about that more. But every believer has at least one ability. So how do you feel about that? Maybe some of you were exposed to like wild, charismatic, Pentecostal, you know, hooting, hollering, laughing, crying, barking, rolling down the aisle. You've had those experiences. And you sit here at Crossroads and think, I don't even know if half these people are saved. They sit there, sing a little, they hardly move. Like, where's the spirit? I've asked the same, myself the same thing once in a while about myself. And then others of us come from these kind of more of a traditional staid background where all of that is seen as simply drawing attention to yourself, which obviously is wrong. And the most holy thing you can do is just sit there with your hands in your lap, put your brain on autopilot and just... Right, and, and you can't help but think, oh, that's spiritual. And maybe you're somewhere in between. Now, as we go through this study and as we try to unpack, oh, you're, you're wondering who's right? <laughs> You'll have to come back next week. Um, I'll tell you what, if you're really interested, study it for yourself. You know where to find all the, the, the main, the central passages on spiritual gifts in the New Testament. You know already. How many already know? It's twelves and fours. Say that with me. Twelves and fours. Okay, for now, now the Presbyterians can join in. Ready? Twelves and fours. Twelves and fours. There are four passages in the New Testament primarily that talk about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12. Oh, we're in that. Romans 12. Ephesians 4. And 1 Peter 4. Where are the central passages for spiritual gifts? I don't know. Maybe the Pentecostals are right. <laughs> so let's get one thing straight before we go today, because it's really just one message. This is what, when Paul started his conversation about this, this is the first thing he said. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. We already know it's different for everybody and different gifts for everybody. So just when you thought maybe you could evaluate you don't really care whether or not they're spiritual as long as everybody thinks you're more spiritual than them. Now we find out you can't. But each of those manifestations is given for the common good. I remember when I first started learning about spiritual gifts. Some of you know the story. I took a little spiritual gifts test, filled it out. When I scored it, I didn't like the answers. So I didn't go back to the professor who gave me the test. He chased me down. Where did you go? What happened? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm busy. He started laughing at me because he knew me. He said, you didn't like what it said. See, I had an idea which ones were the most spiritual, and that's what I was shooting for. I, was, I may have even answered differently because I thought I was moving myself toward the, you know, the more spiritual ones. Leadership. Spiritual domination. If, no, that wasn't one. But, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I wanted something, right? And instead, you know what it came back as? Like my highest gift was exhortation. 
I thought it was like exfoliation. Like I thought, like some girly thing. Like I was, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want anybody seeing this test. I, I had no clue. And he, he laughed at me and he walked me through this process. But you see, even when I was trying to figure out what my gift was, it was because I wanted it to represent me, to empower me to do really important things. All the while, Paul's very first teaching about spiritual gifts blew me out of the water. It's not for you, Mike. You weren't given those abilities for you. They're not there to make you feel better, to make you feel spiritual. They're not there for other people to think you're spiritual. They're there for everyone else. For the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. And to another, now is when your head's going to start to spin. You ready? Because if you look up those passages, 12s and 4s, you're going to see at least four lists of gifts. And it's going to drive you crazy because none of the lists match. It's as though God himself couldn't remember which gifts he gave. I think there's a reason for that. We'll talk about that next week. But now he begins to list just some of the possibilities. There's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. Ah, that's, yeah, that's what I have. Yeah. And to another, the message of knowledge. No, 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 actually, I got that. Well, maybe I got them both. Yeah, because they both sound good. Yeah, by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith. Eh, no big deal. To another, <laughs> gifts of healing. Which, by the way, and we're not going to take time this morning, but you'll notice different colors. I'll tell you why that is. Because there are different Greek words that Paul uses here. Not a big deal, but it's kind of interesting. One word means another one like that, and another one like that, and another one like that. The other word means another one different from those. And so in verse 8, he lists two that are like each other for some reason. And then in verse 9, he goes, but then there are a bunch of others that are different. And then he lists a bunch there. And in verse, the next verse, then he lists a bunch that are different from that again. There's actually three groupings of, so these gifts are all kind of similar, but they're different from these gifts. And it makes you want to, you look over those words, you go, why? Why? How? How come? And we just don't know the answer yet. So he says, to another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing. And it's actually healings, multiple, by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. And then to another whole kind, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, like that, interpretation of tongues. <sighs> this is exactly what you're hoping we wouldn't talk about. But his point is simply this. With all of the diversity, with all of the stuff that you don't understand, you've seen something there abused, and you react. You've been blessed by something there, and you react. And the first thing Paul says is, I, I really don't care about any of that. First thing you guys have to get straight in your head is this is all coming from God. You are not supposed to be mustering it up on your own for your own benefit. So let's talk for just a minute about one of those other fours passages. 1 Peter 4. 
This is probably one of my favorite passages as we start talking about spiritual gifts. He says this, Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind so that you can pray. I w- we, could, we could preach just on that. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of y'all's acting out. And that's true. Offer hospitality to, wonder, to one another without grumbling as opposed to the way you usually do it. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> and then verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received, there it is again, to serve others. That's why it's given. In fact, I'm going to suggest that if you have been trying to use what you think is your spiritual gift for yourself, you have probably found it quite frustrating because nobody seems to appreciate your giftedness. I remember, I remember telling one of my, my, my spiritual mentors once, My gifts are not being put to use here. (laughs) He he was very upset about that. (laughs) Whoa. I thought it was a big deal. This is terrible. My gifts aren't being used. Not for you, they're not, Mike. Serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. And it's, there it is again, various forms. If you are uncomfortable with this whole topic because it's all over the place and you can't quite get it nailed down, tough. I was raised and first led the Lord in in a church that was super fundamental and they thought, you know, clapping was, was an outburst that was needed therapy. You know, they were just against it all. And then later, I kind of went the other direction. I'm thinking, come on, zap me, God. Bring it on. Like, I realized how powerful Jesus was, how powerful the Spirit was. I didn't understand why the world wasn't exploding every day. Now, Peter's going to go on and help us. For those of you that are a little overwhelmed today, he's going to start with just two categories. Everything can fall into just two simple categories. Verse 11. To anyone who speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. The first category of gifts are speaking gifts. The ones that need your mouth. Like me. I I knew right away when I saw this. I said, wow, I don't know if it's good or bad, but yeah, definitely a mouth thing, gifts. Yeah, all about talking. And he says, so if you have speaking gifts, and think to yourself, what, what kind of gifts could be speaking gifts, teaching or exhorting or or counseling or witnessing. It goes on and on and on. But if you have a speaking gift, and and what I've learned is some of you may not have a clue what your spiritual gifts are, but but you probably could already say, well, I don't think they're in the speaking category, or I think they are in the speaking category. Now, some may have both. That's okay. What he says about those who speak is that they have to be careful to speak the very words of God. That's the scariest thing about speaking gifts is it's really important that if you're going to speak up, that you better say what God said. That's the criteria. And if anyone serves, and that's the second category, if anyone serves, working, helping, It's physical in nature, not verbal. They should do so. Okay, now this is a little confusing. If you you have a gift that is speaking, you should speak the very words of God. 
Doesn't it make sense then that if you have a gift of serving, you should be sure to do the work of God? I mean, if it was parallel construction, that's what it should say. But that's not what it says because, first of all, only God can do the work that God does. No, here the concern is the strength with which you do it. See, those of you who have serving gifts, who, you know, like my own wife, right? She would say, if I never spoke in public ever again, you know, that'd be fine with her. Although she's really good at it. But if you're going to serve... Make sure you do it with the strength that God provides. Do you know why that's important? Because if you have the gift of serving, you don't know when to stop. You don't know when to stop. You just keep, every, every, every opportunity comes along. Oh, I should do that. I should do that. I should do that. And you, and you just wear yourself out thinking that it all depends on you. Or worse, you're hoping everybody's noticing just how helpful you are. And God through, for, for, through Peter basically says, you're to do that until God pulls the plug on the power. When he says you're done, you're done. Let somebody else do it. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Let's wrap this up. Last Verse in our passage here, 1 Corinthians 12. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. So however you feel about this issue of spiritual gifts, first let's get something straight. If you discover what is true, then you're going to have to deal with it, whether you like it or not. Because God sends these gifts the way he sees fit. And if there's one thing we've seen is it's probably not what you would expect. How does this apply to us? How does this apply to us since it is imperative that each of us use whatever spiritual gift we've got to minister to others? That's the purpose of the church. What's important here? What's the greatest danger for Crossroads, do you think? Well, I guess one danger would be that we would make this issue too much about us, too much about me. So we prioritize the, the gifts that make me look spiritual, that make me look strong, that look, make me look effective or successful. Don't get me wrong. Everyone loves to look successful, but you don't pretend certain gifts just so other people think differently about you. Placing myself above others in the social order. It's so, look, because I'm up here talking, some of you think I'm more spiritual. Funny thing about talking is, if I just talk long enough, you'll know that's not true. (laughs) And if you're serving and you mess up, no big deal. Somehow when you're up here talking, you mess up, everyone will remind you of it for years to come. All this stuff is on video on the internet, for crying out loud. Which of these gifts is more spiritual? Careful. Because it's very likely that you do think that some of them are. And if there's one thing we've learned is that they're all coming from the same place for the same reason. Maybe it's not, about, not enough about others. Maybe we think the spiritual gifts thing is about me being fulfilled, me finding my place. Now I know that everyone knows that I was made to do this. Whoops. It is about everyone else. 
Sometimes the very best thing that could happen to us is that we could serve faithfully and no one really realized we were there. And you're fulfilled. Because you know you made a difference. Other people don't have to notice. Or maybe it's just not enough about God. Maybe it is about us, about being effective, uh, make the church grow, reach new people, do this or that. All these spiritual sounding things. When actually this is all supposed to reflect back to him. He's supposed to get praise. If anything, the, the, the church, I mean, the, the community is supposed to look at a church and say, how do you explain that? And they can't, apart from God, just working in everybody in different ways. So there are many different gifts. There are many different people with many different gifts. There's one source only. So here's the mantra that I'm going to suggest that we work on this week. I am most satisfied when others are edified so that God is glorified. Can we say that together? I am most satisfied when others are edified so that God is glorified. Now, if you have time this week, if you want to play a little game with maybe those that you meet with regularly, other Christians who keep you sharp, try switching that around a little bit. I am most glorified. Whoa, that's messed up. I am most edified. It doesn't work pretty much any other way. This is our mantra when it comes to spiritual gifts. It wasn't how the believers in Corinth approached it. For them, it was all a political, social game, and they were out to do one thing. Not bring God glory, but to win. So, where are you in this? What are your biases? Who do you think is more spiritual in this room? Who is it that you keep hoping when you get here that they will minister to you? Is it possible that you have a gifting that we are desperately needing here and somehow you're like, oh, well, it's, it's, I'm not ready yet. I need people to minister to me first more. There's only one source. He's glorified when we use what he's given us to serve others. Let's pray. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, we would love for you to know that none of this makes any sense to you because it starts with a relationship with him. When Jesus came to earth, he came as a man, lived among us so that he could die on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he made a payment for your sin and mine. And now he offers eternal life as a free gift. It's received through faith. What would stop you from putting your faith in Jesus today? There are a lot of people here, gifted or not, that would love to talk to you about that. But if you're a believer, then the important question is not only do you know what your gifts are. If not... God can fix that. But are you tempted to think that some of those gifts are more spiritual, more important than the others? Then, then, there's danger. 
goes right back to those mute idols. And God, as we heard today in our, the men's class, God will absolutely positively remove idols from your life, regardless of how painful that is. So reflect on what it is God is saying to you about this, even as we worship together. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.